Hello, and welcome to the Extension Experience Podcast with your hosts, Josh Bouchong, Trent Malachik, and Dana Zook. Here you'll find insights into Oklahoma agriculture from West Area Specialists employed by Oklahoma State University Extension. Their perspectives come from assisting county educators and producers in the areas of agronomy, animal science, and economics. Thank you for joining us. Welcome back. My name is Trent Malachik. I'm Dana Zook. And Josh Bashan. We're going to talk today about horn flies. And I've asked Dana to come up with some quick tips or some main points to talk about horn flies because as I've been watching my herd, I've as we get into the warmer months and warmer temperatures, it seems like flies have started to bother my cattle more and more. And you know, it's if you're a producer that hasn't really thought about what type of fly is affecting your cow, you, you really need to know that there's more than one. And I, I've kind of asked Dana to give me some tips on uh, figuring out what type of fly is actually attacking my cattle, because they tend to be all over the animal. There's some down by the legs, there's some that just hang out by the head and on the back. And maybe Dana, you can just kind of start there and go into kind of identifying our, our main pest here that we're going to talk about today. For sure. So there are a variety of flies that affect beef cattle and they can some of these flies can affect other livestock, but we'll focus on beef cattle today. What we would start with are the main flies that cause the most economic loss or economic impact on cattle and that's horn flies. Has nothing to do with your if your cattle have horns. It's just a, a name we have uh, for those particular flies. These flies um, when you look at cattle, they will be pointing down. The head will be pointing down on an on the cow um, when the fly is attached to the animal or when it's when it's laying on the animal. These are small flies. You can see them kind of on the pole region to the back during the cool parts of the day, but then they will go underside the belly um, during the heat hot parts of the day. So you won't see them on the fly typically on the cow's back, uh, you know, during noontime or or two o'clock in the afternoon when the when the sun is overhead. The next type of fly that really is irritating to cattle are stable flies. These are the flies you find on the legs. These are all these flies so far are blood feeders, but these flies in particular have a very painful bite and really can cause cattle to really be very irritated. You'll see them running around avoiding stable flies and they come from um, decomposing hay material. So if you have a lot of hay feeding sites, stable flies um, breed and nest in those types of areas. The next um, other type of fly is a face fly. We have pink eye issues with face flies and those, those of course are found ar around the face of the animal. And then we have horse flies, which some people probably don't see. There's not as many of them out there, but they are much larger. You'll really notice them on cattle and horses and they have um, a mouth part that is slicing. And so you can see just blood running down the side of an animal sometimes if they have horsefly um, injury. So those are the main types of flies that we have that we deal with on beef cattle. And most of what I think we'll talk about today is horn flies, just because those are the largest population that we see. But of course, all those other types of flies, they are, they are a big um, problem for the beef industry. You paint a pretty gruesome picture with all of that. And, <laughs> and we think about controlling flies oftentimes because we see our animals uncomfortable. And mm -hmm. 
I think the next kind of part you'll want to talk about is why we're controlling those flies. As those animals are uncomfortable and don't feel good, and it's kind of like when we're swatting mosquitoes at a cookout, we probably aren't drinking or eating as much, and we're we're chasing after those pests mm-hmm. that are attacking our own bodies. So is that kind of how that affects a cow as well? Yes. The stress is the biggest problem, especially with horn flies. Um They are blood feeding flies. Of course, I'm going to the gruesome part here, but they're blood feeders. Uh, One fly, they say from our livestock entomologist at OSU, he says that they'll take 30 blood meals a day. Now we think about a population of 200 to 300 flies on an animal is the economic threshold before we start treatment. 300 flies making taking 30 blood meals a day pretty irritating. I don't think it's as painful as a stable fly, but the horn flies, I mean, can really cause blood loss, irritation. And what we see is stress on the animal, especially a beef cow, maybe nursing, um, lactating. She will produce less milk um, because of that stress and therefore have a smaller calf. Before you go too far down that road, I remember you doing research on horn flies and, and counting actual flies on animals. And one thing that really kind of blew my mind a little bit about it was the fact that 300 flies isn't very many. No, no. So what we would do, I've done it in a couple counties across our district, is we would go and take pictures of cattle, side profiles of cattle, profiles of cattle, and then go back on our computer and count those flies. And you're right, two to 300 flies is really not very many. This isn't a huge fly. And so when we start to see cattle being really irritated by these flies, a lot of times we're seeing 900, 1,000, more than that number mm-hmm. of flies per animal. And that can be really, um, that can really affect our bottom line. Are there cows in the herd that kind of can be our indicator? Uh, I've seen, you know, you'll always see more flies on a bull mm-hmm. or maybe your bigger animal, your bigger cows will tend to attract more flies. I don't know, that might be down a different rabbit hole than you really want to go down, but it's kind of those are the ones I use to kind of tell me that the rest of the herd is is quick to have a problem. So there is some genetic resistance to insects, flies in particular. So there are some cows that will have more problems than others. Bulls will have more issues just because of the amount of testosterone. A, a mature bull will likely have quite a number of flies. Um, but the problem with bulls is we cannot put a fly tag in their ear because they can't turn their head and apply that chemical from the fly tag onto their back. And so is the bulls, we kind of either have to spray them or do some other sort of control, but that's going down another path to Trent. But, um, yes, bulls will typically have quite a number more flies than cows, but there are some breeds. They say a Brahmin breed has more, has has more resistance to flies. You won't see as many flies on those animals, but um, so a lot of times it's just individual uh, variability. You think about the decrease in performance of cows and maybe not producing as much milk and then calves not eating as much grass when they're fighting flies. Well, if a bull's fighting flies, he's not doing his number one job either as well. Yes. So that oftentimes we try to get some of that breeding season moved earlier in the year. for a lot of different reasons, but dealing with heat and dealing with insect pressure kind of tends to be a little bit less earlier in the spring. Am I wrong on yes, that? Yes, very or? good point. Very good point. Yeah. And I think, I don't know, you ready to move into your next topic? Yeah, sure. Uh, so, so uh wanted to talk about when they are a problem. So here in Oklahoma, we see early April through the end of October is when we can see horn flies. It's 
uh, a little earlier and a little later than we, er, you know, originally years ago used to think. So we're seeing hornflies very early. As long as that temperature is, is warm, we can see hornflies into March. Um, and again, they're a problem when we see that two to 300 fly threshold. Um, of course, they could be irritating cattle with less um, number of flies, but because of our costs and that sort of thing, we need to wait to apply treatments until um, we see you know, quite a number of flies. And the beef industry sees a lot of things related to animal health popping up recently. And, and we try to do our best to make those animals comfortable. But on my own operation, sometimes I feel like it's hard for me to make that call between making sure my cows are 100% comfortable and saving the products I have to combat the pest until later in the year, whenever they can actually be effective, because we are limited on when we, how much of these different products we can use and how, how often we can apply them. So kind of maybe you go down the road of explaining why, uh, why we control, when we see the problem existing, why we control it, why do we kind of tend to push people off later into the summer before they start using some of those control methods? So we, there's a variety of variety of different controls we can use. I, I talk a lot about fly tags. Those are probably the most effective control. They are the most effective control. We have pour-ons, sprays, and then you have uh, IGRs that come in mineral and that sort of thing. It's an insect growth regulator. We can talk about that in a future episode, but that's a, a product they consume that limits the um, fly eggs growth in the manure pat. So that works internally through the animal. And then we have dust bags and rubbers, oilers, that sort of thing. So ear, fly, like I said, fly tags are most effective, followed by pour-ons and sprays. And then we find that dust bags and oilers are not as effective unless you're forcing cattle to go through those. Um, and so that that isn't a real effective control for flies. But the horn uh, pour-ons and sprays, um, good. But we, like you said, we are limited on the times we can apply those. Um, particular controls. Um, some of the, you always have to read the label. Okay. But some of them kind of limit to you to probably three applications. And if you have a really rainy year, what do you think that does to it? It, yeah. it decreases that um, efficacy of that. So you could go through three applications in a month and a half. So when we want to apply those controls or, well, let me say first that we have the highest populations of horn flies from July through September the hottest, driest time for Oklahoma. Now that will vary across the country. Um, but with fly tags in particular, I'm jumping back and forth between these products, we'll see 90 days of control. We have seen sometimes that delaying tagging cattle will move that control to where you're kind of controlling the flies uh, during that highest time. So if we tag early June, we have the June, July, and August time period pretty much covered. So we've had some demonstrations that indicate um, that that between May 1st and June 1st, applying those fly tags is the best time. Yeah. The other side of that is getting your herd up and into uh, working facilities before the heat of the summer, too. Yeah. Not wanting to have to, to handle those animals as it gets hotter and hotter. So it's kind of that fine line there where not too early is to run out of protection later into the summer, but not waiting so long as to uh, have a lot of economic losses from those animals. Yeah, it's, it's something that just continually struggle with. And I'm, you know, I've tried 
my fair share of those different products. And I feel like the one that I've hit on, I like the most is the ear tag. It is more work trying to get those put in those animals ears and then subsequently getting them taken out of the ears, mm-hmm. which you, I don't know if you'll talk about that as well, but yep. um, being good stewards of our technology, I think is also very important. And, and maybe that'll run you into the next topic of, yeah. kind of rotating products. So, so like you said, taking the tag out at the end of the year, that's really important. Taking that fly tag out so that once it's run out of the chemical or mostly we're not having flies um, coming into contact with that chemical at a low level and creating resistance. So with a lot of different chemicals and Josh will talk a little bit about this too. He's more knowledgeable on the chemical side, but with any chemicals, um, for internal, external parasites, we are seeing resistance. We're seeing resistance because maybe we used a product many, many times year after year after year because it was initially effective. Now we're seeing resistance to that. What we see in the livestock industry is the resistance to a pyrethroid, with it, which is one of the active ingredients we look to. Now, Josh, you said that there's probably some pyrethroid resistance in the crop side, too. Yeah, and the synthetic pyrethroid mode of action, I think, is group three. There's a lot of different chemicals underneath that mode of action. And that's one thing we see on the crop side as well as like what we're talking about here, insect control on uh, beef animals is just because it looks like a different product. You got to look at that mode of action because mm-hmm. there's a lot of different types of pyrethroids that some of these products use. So making sure you know what the mode of action is to rotate. To prevent that resistance because probably most of the insecticides pyrethroids get the bad rap of developing resistance the easiest mm-hmm. yeah i um and so like what we need to look at as far as preventing that resistance is rotation of chemicals right so um if we just talk let's just fl- talk fly tags here for a minute what we have is three different active ingredients for the most part. Um, what we have is a macrocyclic lactone, a pyrethroid, or an organophosphate in those tags. And what we would like to like to say it'd be good to rotate those just different every year. Um, but there are some, you know, um, ways that we can utilize them. One of those products, maybe more than one year, the macro lactone doesn't have a lot of, hasn't shown to be very resistant, but it's also a new product. And so we don't want to overuse it and then have those issues down the road. But yes, pyrethroids, we only want to use a pyrethroid, no matter if you're spraying, pouring on, or using a pyrethroid tag, we only want to use that once every three years just because it can be effective during that time. But if we overuse it in a particular herd, we can have problems and it will vary from one herd to the next. And you mentioned application. Probably the easiest overlooked problem is, is that these are contact insecticides. So you might mention you might need to put them in both ears so we get good coverage on both sides mm-hmm. and stuff like that. Um, because it's not going to work through the animal. And you even said at the beginning, it's not going to work on bulls. That's right. That's right. Absolutely. Good point, Josh. So yes, these are contact chemicals. See, I told you Josh would be better at talking about the chemical side, but contact chemicals um, with a fly tag, it's not that the tag repels, like, like we think like mosquito spray repels them from our body. The 
the fly tag contains a chemical that has to come in contact with the animal skin. And it has kind of a, a chemical that sits on the skin of the animal. Um, and so the, the fly tag chemical is applied when they turn their head back and forth, you know, lick themselves or try to bat those flies off. A bull cannot turn their head. And so fly tags are not really all that effective unless you're trying to control ticks or something like that in the ear. Um, same thing with sprays or pour-ons. You need to read the label. Do they say spray on till runoff? You know, pour on from the shoulder to the tail head. Um, tell, like how much does it say to put on? You really need to put on what it says and the way it says it so that we're getting good effective coverage and not just applying some of it because that creates resistance. And Trent mentioned it earlier is taking them off in the fall, but I've often visited a farm and you can see where the working shoot is and they're just all laying on the ground or we leave them out in the, mm -hmm. where they come together at the water trough. And that's another thing we can prevent resistance by disposing of those tags properly and not just leaving them around. Very good point. Yep. Anytime that the insects from your operation come in contact with that chemical, it can cause resistance. It can be kind of difficult uh, to keep in mind where these different products have been used, especially if you're using different products on different herds throughout the year. I've gotten to where I move my cows around more than I've ever done in the past. And I got to think about you're actually, and correct me if I'm wrong, you want to rotate your chemical history on that pasture or on that paddock as opposed to in a particular herd. Because, you know, it doesn't necessarily matter if a cow has a pyrethroid tag in her ear every single year, as long as she's moving to different areas where the in post insect population is different. Um, I might have made that a little more complicated than, than <laughs> no, you no. thought of, but. No, it's two, both ways. You need to think about where those cows are, have been at and also within the herd okay. because the resistance is kind of on the animal as well as in the location. But that's a really good question for a livestock entomologist. Yeah. <laughs> um, so maybe we'll have to have Dr. Justin Talley on one of these days. But yeah, I would say that all those things, um, you need to keep those in mind. Um, good record keeping is really important as far as where those animals. And if you're working shoot is at a particular location that's had a lot of, um, you know, work with been a lot of chemicals on it and that sort of thing that, that can play a role too. But if at all possible, I think it'd probably be easiest in the long run to keep everything the same every year. So you can keep track. Of that. Yes. <laughs> so yes. Just to use that same, the same chemical on the whole herd and then make sure you're keeping to some kind of a rotation there. Yeah. As you go through. Yeah. I would say fly tags from just the, helpful tip standpoint. Um, you know, always read the label. You want to have tags in both ears, like Josh said, and make sure you remove them at the end of the year. And, um, those are just some helpful things to keep in mind. They can be more costly up front, but I think reapplication, pulling cattle up, um, to pour them or properly spray them, I think is, is labor and it, it's, pretty important to keep in mind the cost of your labor. Um, I don't know. Do you, have you used sprays in the past, Trent, where you spray, get them together, gather them and spray them, or do you spray down the feed line? I usually spray down the feed line, which costs feed money, <laughs> especially <laughs> in a time of year, whenever they don't necessarily need it. Yeah. It seems like I spend about $5 in feed every time I go check them just to make my life easier. So I don't have to go and seek them out of the trees and everything else. So every time I show up there, it costs money and gasoline and time and feed and in spray. 
So it's important. Your, that's a good point. You got to keep those costs in check because it's really easy to feed yourself out of a profit, and it's really easy to to overlook some of those inputs that are important and and run out of a profit for sure. Yeah. So um, those are just some tips I would have. I know we've hammered, you know, the chemical side, but is there anything cultural we can do as far as maybe keeping areas tidier or get rid of manure? Or Absolutely. Like you said hay earlier. But. Yeah. So um, if you have hay feeding sites from the wintertime, so uh, dry lots with lots of decomposing hay is a really um, big breeding ground for stable flies, which are the flies on the legs. And so if you can drag those out, move that around, um, anytime you're, you're dragging through that, those decomposing hay, that decomposing hay, it breaks up those breeding sites and, and can dry that area out. Um, when you're a lot of times pasture cattle have more issues with horn flies. And so, um, having those animals spread out more is always better. Um, but if you have a, a particular area, they are confined. If you've got a lot of open manure pats, it's good to drag through those as well. Cause that is where horn flies lay their eggs is in a active manure pat. So those are some things to keep in mind as far as that goes. I assume having a healthy animal, they can tolerate more. I know you gave, but two to 300 flies per animal. So probably something that has a lower body score, a little thinner, they might need more attention than someone that's. Yes. So uh, cows in lower body condition can get anemic really easily and have a lot of blood loss issues. They can't deal with the stress as well. If you've got calves on a low body condition cow that also is under stress for flies, you can have some really big issues. And so, yes, body condition score makes a big difference. Um, a bigger cow can handle it a lot better. Well, those have been some great helpful tips on horn fly control and talked a lot about using ear tags and different products. Thank you, Josh and Dana, for, for giving all that insight there. Again, these are just some of our ideas. We always encourage you to contact your local veterinarian if you have any questions on how to use products. Uh, the, the box for the product will have all the directions on what you're supposed to use. Sometimes it'll say one tag, sometimes it'll say two. We talked about ways to increase efficacy uh, of different products that we're familiar with. So again, we always want to encourage you to, to read the label and be good stewards of the chemicals that we do have available to us to protect our animals. And if you have any other questions, we always encourage you to reach out to your local county extension office. Thank you for joining us today. We hope you've enjoyed what you've heard. If you would like to hear more or follow up on the topics discussed, please reach out to your local county extension agent. OSU has a presence in all 77 counties with educators eager to assist you. Also, please consider checking the description for links to our social media pages and further information pertinent to the conversation. Thanks again, and we'll talk to you soon.